everybody, and welcome to episode 56 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. Yet. I'm your host, yeah, yes, <laughs> I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. Hi. How you doing, man? I'm good. Good to hear. I am really, I'm kind of tired this morning. I thought I just said, I'm, I'm my, I'm our host, which I guess I kind of am, but sleep is not really present right now. And words are hard. Yeah, words are hard. So this may be an interesting one. It's okay. It's Friday the 13th. Let's just take it easy. Oh, geez. It really is. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're presented by Worldwide Cyclery. We, we should are. say this. Yes. Uh, that's the place where you can go to go get all of your bike parts. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. Also, the Bike Knowledge. I was uh, checking out their blog recently and the different things that they've put up. So they put out a video, and I actually saw this on YouTube, but which they you should subscribe to their YouTube channel. It's awesome. Uh, but they did one on how to upgrade your mountain bike forks. We're not talking about like modifications to your existing, okay. basically all the things you need to know in order to get a different fork. And it's super con- comprehensive mm-hmm. and solid. And once again, they're putting out these like pieces that basically like if a person says, Hey, I want to get this and I don't know what to do. They've got like so much content on that sort of thing. So they put out awesome content too. They just did an interview and like kind of a backstory behind Brian Kennedy, our friend BKXC. They did. Yeah. Uh, it's all good things. So uh, you can go to mtbpodcast.com, go to the store at mm-hmm. the banner, and then any parts you get from there, all the bike parts, uh, any parts you get, we get a little cut of that. So then we can put out some uh, some content for you guys, some extra content. Yes. We have something planned. We do. And I'm kind of excited. Should we not reveal yet? We probably um, shouldn't. We probably shouldn't. Yeah, because yeah. it's not. We don't want to like overload up. this town. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's only so many Airbnbs available. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and in fact, perhaps two different things. But anyways, uh, stay tuned. Uh, Wait, two? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I did not know about two. I yeah, just knew one. Yeah. yeah. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll let you know more information coming soon. Exciting stuff on that. But that's what that sort of thing goes to, uh, and hopefully helping us make this a little bit more regular. Uh, it's been a busy time, but things have kind of calmed down for, for us recently. So they have, this is the second, second podcast in in three weeks. So that's pretty good for us right now. Some consistency getting back back there. So, uh, okay. With that, uh, Steven, there's a bunch of stuff to actually, before that people should find us on social things, just look us up and we are on the Instagrams and the, the fuck bases. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That was close. Book book faces, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. That was close. I did that on purpose. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Uh, Hopefully people listen closely to that and they don't think that we need to bleep that one out. Yeah. Uh, should we just jump straight into news? Yes. Let's do it. News team assemble. All right, uh, so big news time uh, right now. Well, really, obviously, Eurobike the happened. The Eurobike. Here's the interesting thing. Eurobike is happening earlier than it normally happens. Mm-hmm. It's happening during the Tour de France, which is upsetting a lot of folks, I guess. Um, but it's happening during the Tour de France, and it's earlier than normal. I feel like I we saw less actual new, which we'll get to that in a bit, but actually new products being released at this one compared to previous ones. Maybe, yeah, maybe that, maybe that there was just less hype around everything. Maybe yeah. there's just, I don't know. Maybe. For those that don't know, Eurobike is, so Interbike used to be the spot where all companies launched everything mm-hmm. for the year. Uh, then it became Eurobike. Now it's kind of becoming Sea Otter. And True. Eurobike, especially in this year, is just really not having that much. Yeah. Maybe it's because everybody with Interbike is so stoked that it's going to be here in Reno that <laughs> sure. Eurobike's on the downhill. I'm sure they're just salivating. I bet that's, what, yep, that's yep. what it is. Yeah, I'm sure. Those Frenchies are like, oh, yeah. we can't wait to go to Reno. And I should be clear, 
so we should both be clear. It seems like people, uh, from what we talk to them, they're not looking forward to coming to Reno because they think that it's a very bad Vegas. Yeah, they think it's a terrible Vegas, like Which, Reno 911. If you're coming to Reno expecting Vegas, yes, it's a pretty bad Vegas. In fact, it's a really bad Vegas. It's a terrible Vegas. You <laughs> if, should leave. If you're coming to Reno expecting to ride your bike and do fun things outdoors, yes. yeah, you're in an incredible place. Absolutely. So, uh, But doesn't seem to be the the... People don't seem to understand that. <laughs> so, yeah, so. Um, but just the same, there was stuff that came out. Um, so uh, first of all, I guess WTB released tires, but I don't think they released them at Eurobike or maybe they'd released them just before. They released a bunch of them. Um, for those that don't know, WTB is always known for making a pretty burly tire. Yeah. Uh, the air on the side of burly, I would say. They have Usually. a bunch of really cool gravel tires too. They do. Um, they have some uh, – some, Decent XC choices. Yeah. So, uh, but they released some burly tires. Yeah. I think they're all big. Not all yeah. of them. Well, they're here. all 2.4 to 2.6. Um, that's okay. That's big. Yeah, that's a big tire. Yeah. And, and they're going to be heavy. You know, like the new Judge uh, in the 27.5 by 2.4 with the Tough Fast mm-hmm. casing is 1,305 grams. Hey. So expect the Tough High Grip to be 1,400 or more. That weighs as much as my whole Envy wheel set. Yes, it does. <laughs> but if you want your That's whole amazing. Envy wheel set to never touch the ground ever yeah, on any rock or anything, yeah. then you put this tire on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's the one thing that I've always found with WTB is their light casing tires are very light casing tires. Yeah. Very light. Very light. Yes. Like they don't even have the same protection as a Maxxis EXO, mm-hmm. yet they're as heavy as Maxxis EXO. Mm-hmm. But then you go to their tough, fast and tough high grip and they're basically heavier than... Maxis's double downs and two ply DH casings. <laughs> yeah. So it's um they're just very burly tires. They're yeah. great tires. They're just heavy. So it looks like the Judge is the new one. Yeah. And this one looks super it's so it's a rear specific tire, it looks like. It's super aggressive. Um, it looks like it's one that I guess with how wide space the knobs are and the gaps between them, it looks like it would probably be best for like I would say looser terrain. It yeah. looks like it could filter through and get a hold of some stuff, you yeah. know? Yep. So this looks like a, an Enderbro rear that you would use if you're going through loose stuff. Uh, interesting. Good to see, man. Uh, they also released some rims, right? They did. Um, they, they, they call them the KOM rims. Yeah, well, they've had the KOM rims, but now they split KOM into KOM light and KOM tough following yeah, the casing of their tires. The can, KOM- one, can one not get a KOM while running KOM rims? I mean, they could, but I think you have to delete your Strava. You <laughs> Something don't. like that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's a bold claim. Yeah. Say these wheels are KOM wheels. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they do they do – I know that they've done some interesting stuff before with, like, beams within their rims. Yeah, so they ended up uh, – they used to have on their frequency uh, – their frequency team setup, mm-hmm. those rims used to have an I-beam that would follow the nipple – uh, the spoke nipple holes all the way around to help okay. create like a nice buttress and, you know, make the rim stiffer, yeah, yeah. especially around the spoke holes. And now it's, it looks like they've reinforced the eyelet and then split the beam to either side, which is, um, that's a departure for them. That's different. They're, they're following more standard rim, you know, designs. Interesting. Huh. Well, good to see, uh, WTB is a, a pretty cool company in terms of the, the folks and events they support. I they really, really like are. That. Yeah. They support mountain biking. So I like supporting companies that support mountain bikes. Uh, I guess, uh, next on the list, uh, of things that we should talk about was, uh, rotor went to 13. 
They did. Good luck, 13. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. yeah. They went ham. Um, so that means their group set. They have a, a hydraulic 13-speed group set. Yes. Which we the hydraulic, actually, the hydraulic shifting, I've heard, is very good. Well, we played with it at Sea Otter for, mm-hmm. I think, the last two years because they've had it on their road group set, and then mm-hmm. they also released the mountain setup. The front shifting year. feels really, or the the rear shifting feels really good. The front shifting, people have complained of having problems, but when you have 13 speeds, you don't really care about front shifting. Yeah, because you know, you're not. You have all the gears. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a it's a pretty looking unit. It's like really clean. They have cassettes. I think the mountain bike one goes a 1052. It's yeah, 1052 or 1051. Yeah, for crazy. 13 speeds, that's yeah. a lot. Then they have a bunch of different road choices too. So I could see this being actually really cool for like a gravel bike or. Even like an XC bike, you'd have a ton of choices. I think that they have like a a 1036 is their smallest, which is crazy, but mm-hmm. um, that's their smallest cassette. Yeah. Forgive me. And then they have all the way up to a 1052. So awesome. uh, pretty cool to see. And one thing I do like about this is mm-hmm. they actually set this 13-speed cassette up to run 12-speed chains. So your typical, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like your XX1 chain or the KMC X12 mm-hmm. is the chain you'd use. So instead of making a whole new standard, yep. they actually are following what's already out there. Speaking of standards, however, they <coughs> did kind of have to use a standard in some place, which is with their, with their hub. Yeah. So they ended up having to do a whole new free hub design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of a different deal. It also uses, it's kind of interesting. Um, it moves the drive side spoke flange a bit in like, uh, it moves it slightly inward. Of course, because they have to have more room. Uh huh. Yeah. It does some cool things like that. So anyways, um, yeah, that's cool to see. I bet that we'll see things going up, up, up. And at some point we're going to get so many gears in the back that it's kind of ridiculous. And maybe we go internal gearboxes finally yeah. and or, figure that or out. Maybe we'll get so many gears in the, in the rear that they'll just eliminate the front gear altogether. It'll be a zero by 15. Whoa. Mind blown. I don't think you can do that. I don't actually. think you can do that either. Physically. It's maybe impossible. what they'll do is they'll actually just have a gigantic, everything in the front. And then you're, yeah. you won't even have to worry about chainstay shortness because you'll be riding on your chain and cassette. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Like I'm sure that would function very well. Yeah. Just um, imagine <laughs> how stiff your bottom bracket could be <laughs> if you put a 14-speed roll-off internal hub in your bottom bracket. Oh, yeah. That'd be rad. That'd be pretty sweet. I think we should do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, the the thing that everybody was talking about with this uh, Eurobike. We even got questioned about this. Yeah. The ceramic speed drive-in or driven drivetrain uh they're trying to i don't know what the play on words really is how it's supposed to be pronounced uh but okay so let's be real yeah um ceramic speed first of all sorry to everybody they make 700 dollars jockey wheels like let's not it's over the top there's yeah. like this obsession with ceramic speed stuff that is totally unwarranted absolutely um I see people at, well, I go to Kona the, for Ironman World Champs every year. No, I do not race that. Uh, I go there for work and I see so many people, no joke, they show up, they're in the expo area, they see Ceramic Speed and Ceramic Speed is selling pulleys and they're like, yeah, I'd like to buy them. I want to put them on my bike, you know, because I want to save the watt. That it, I think that it saves a watt. It's like 1.3 watts yeah. at, you know, yeah, yeah it's, it's ridiculous. silly. So they buy these pulleys, throw them on their bike. They probably didn't get a new chain. You know, so the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then they can't shift into all their gears as mm-hmm. a result. Uh, they have so many issues with them, but like people spend so much money on ceramic speed stuff. And yeah, to me, it's like, you can do so many things to save a watt. Yeah. That like use a different chain lube. Yes. 
or ever lube your chain. Yes, That's exactly. The one thing or I clean your is, chain. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. there's so many different things. Yeah. Like, take your head and drop it by an inch, and you're going to save a lot. Like, yeah. it's like, it's crazy. Like, so I, I don't know, man. I think that it's a little overblown. And in this case, I think that what they did was it's truly nothing groundbreaking. No, not at all. S- stuff like this has existed for a very long time. Mm-hmm. This was an alternative to the standard drivetrain that you see on bikes long before we really adopted that as the standard. Yeah. Um, it's a shaft drive. Yeah. And it's a shaft drive transmission, and it has a gear up front, and then it has the shaft, and then a gear in back. And now it uses bearings where it contacts that, and that's supposed to Which reduce the friction. De- yeah, it decreases rolling resistance, tra- you know, friction, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But the moment that a speck of dirt gets into that little mm-hmm. dinner plate, the spiky dinner plate thing, mm-hmm. or into any of those bearings, not only are you going to have the noisiest drivetrain out there, yeah. but two, you're going to hate it. Oh, yeah. And here's the other problem. It doesn't shift. No. It doesn't shift at all. It's a single speed system. No, it's, it. no, it's not. No, no, it can't shift. It can't shift yet. No. Oh, it's just a giant dinner plate cassette to make you think it can shift, but it actually can't. Well, it's the a whole single speed point of the cauliflower thing is that the whole <laughs> shaft is supposed to move back and forth and load up into the different gear. And it doesn't. I didn't even read into it so, that much. Is that, re- that it's really it's just for looks right now? So that's what the, that's what frustrates me about this is the fact that like this is purely a product that was built. And not a product that's truly built to push the limits. Because if that was the case, they would do something totally unprecedented. And this isn't unprecedented. So erase that. So step backward further. What this really is, is just a thing to stand out at Eurobike. And luckily for them, hardly anything really interesting or cool came out at Eurobike this year. That's true. So as a result, this is what's talked about. And it just, I hate it when brands release stuff like that, that it's, it's not even functional. You can't shift. It's a single speed system. It's crazy. So like, but then they make it look like a, a, and they said, yeah, we're working with a guy right now and it'd be really complex, but we figure if we keep going at it, we can figure it out. Well, yeah, of course you could figure it out. Like, but it's just, oh, that drives me so nuts. Companies, that's very disingenuous. And for a company that charges so much for a product that they shouldn't, where the arrow gains are so minimal already, that, and I'm sorry, this is me like calling like pitchforks on ceramic speed, but all of that, that should upset all of us. We should look at that and be like, we're not fools. Okay. Like, don't pull the wool over our eyes mm-hmm. by charging us this much for these products and then by making a product like this. It's basically very on-brand for ceramic speed. A lot of show without and a lot of delivery. Yeah. You know, or a lot of cash without With a, a lot, lot of delivery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just want to know what colors of anodizing the thing's going to come in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Because they have any anodized pulleys. Uh, moving on to much better things that they came out actually just before. Wow, you just threw bike. that one down. Heck yeah. 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 I'm sorry. I'm not into them. Yeah. I don't like companies that, tr- that you know, think that they can take advantage of people like that. That's not cool. True. So, uh, okay. TRS. Uh, yes. From E13. This is actually pretty cool. This is awesome. This is like the bird without the bird. Mm-hmm. So they they had told me at some point that they were working on something that was going to be really cool and interesting, and uh, they didn't give me any details. Well, that was rude of them. Do they know who we are? <laughs> yes, I think Corey so. Corey Sullivan, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, but th- so E13 is a company, on the other hand, that delivers a ton of value. Yes. For not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And like their E13 dropper that my wife has, I'm thoroughly impressed with the thing. Mm-hmm. Like it has not developed as much wobble as every other dropper post I've ever had. Okay. In the saddle. Uh, it's It's got that little indexing 
system on it, which is, I guess it's an option to have. I usually just slam all the way down anyway, yeah. but it's cool to have. And it's a cheap dropper post. Anyways, really cool stuff. They make the TRS race cassette that we always talk about and the yep. different cassette options. Uh, they make plenty of things, but now they make a 12 speed upgrade kit for your 11 speed drivetrain, which is cool. It's really cool. Yeah. And the reason that this is cool is because they now make a 12 speed cassette as well. Mm-hmm. So the 946 has 12 instead of 11. So the R1 complaint about the 946 cassette with 11 speed is that at times, especially if you're like in a drafting situation or something like that, you can feel like there's the jumps can be a little bit big. Yeah. Like with my gravel bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They can just put you in a point where you're kind of in between gears instead of feeling like you have the perfect gear. So adding another gear to that should help smooth things out. Totally. So uh, the interesting thing is, this upgrade kit, it's a DIY deal, but there's actually a walkthrough on how to do it. You can look at that, and it comes with directions that's very straightforward, I hear. Yeah. But you take apart the shifter. Sounds scary. It's not it's bad. Not bad at all. Uh-huh. And then you throw in basically different uh, ratchet little teeth teeth thingies. Little ratchety right? majigs. Yep. Yeah. Throw that in there, and then you, and you head back to that derailleur, and then you're able to modify the derailleur, um, which basically uh, is just giving you just enough to clear that 46. You don't have to clear the giant 50. And then you have a 12-speed drivetrain with their cassette. And I do like that this new 12-speed setup changed instead of having that special lock ring where mm. you need their special tool mm. in order to install it on the mm-hmm. XD drive. This one slides on, and then it has a clamp that locks it in place. So Which no is, more special tools. And that's the one that uh, I have that that generation of the 946 huh. on uh, Sarah's bike and my wife's bike and yeah. on my bike yeah. on the 5.5. Well, aren't you fancy? It's I really have the old it's one. super easy. Yeah. Like you basically, it has like a pinch collar on there. Mm-hmm. You put it on there. You just tighten up that Allen key. And then after that, all you have to do is just use a standard chain whip to pop it into spot. So hmm. it's really cool. And that's 300 bucks, right? And so, it comes with all the little tools you need. Yeah. So like yeah. people taking apart a shifter would probably be a little scared if they have done it before, because sometimes it can be like ping and everything goes everywhere yeah. as soon as you take it apart. Uh, but in this case, they actually have like a little tool, like a little guide tool that goes in place that holds everything there for you. Pretty cool. So it's a tiny little part. It's it's really cool. So kudos E13 on doing something that is actually pushing stuff forward. Gives people 12 speeds with something they already have. 299 for this. Yeah. I know that people are like, yeah, well, for you know, around 500 bucks, I can get a GX Eagle set up. Yeah, you yeah. can. But I'll tell you what, this TRS cassette shifts really well. It shifts, probably shifts better. It's going to be way lighter. Yeah. This setup is going to be way lighter than a GX Eagle setup. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you don't have a derailleur that sticks way out there so they can get smashed on things. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's really cool. So kudos to E13 for doing their, for doing the opposite of what we see from ceramic speed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can we do some XC nerdery really quick? Because I think there are only two other products that really caught sure. my eye. I ride a scalpel, bike. so let's, let's do some nerdery. All right. So uh, first thing, a fan came out. I know mm. people are like, yeah, that's really lame. Mm. <laughs> but for if you've trained indoors. Uh, cooling thermoregulation is one of the biggest limiters, if not the biggest, biggest limiter on a person's performance. And you'll see like, I just can't hit my numbers inside. Like I can outside. And a lot of the time it comes down to cooling. You need to have a lot of efficient cooling, like a lot of cooling going on. What about deficit training? Uh, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, you can heat adaption. I guess you can go for heat adaption. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. You can, you can do that. But then the problem is if you're, so there are two types of training either, if you're really trying to expand your abilities, mm-hmm. you do not want to be doing so in less than ideal conditions. You want to create the ideal conditions to allow your body to work harder than it, or like at higher intensities than it ever has. Got Does that make sense? Yeah. If you have a lot of heat, then you're simply capped. 
capped. You okay. can't work quite as high. Uh, so that's different to just like, you know, aerobic conditioning where you're talking about duration, the specific okay. thing. Anyways, I usually get industrial fans, the Lasco Performance Series. They're the ones that like when you have a flooded basement and you use it to clean it up. Not like <clears> the <throat> ones, the gigantic floor stand ones that are huge, but they're like small little guys and they look like a turbocharger almost. Little um, scroll fans. Yeah, little scroll fans. Those things work fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, but they always send the air in a sideways rectangle. And I always think, well, I'm a vertical rectangle on my bicycle. This I'm probably wasting then you air. just take it and you turn it up on its end and then it's a vertical rectangle. You could, you could but they tend to scoot a wee bit when you do that because like, ah. they sit on their side and they kind of like, it's like a dog chasing its tail on its side or something. <laughs> Good. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but Wahoo came out with one that actually has that correct orientation. And then it does a lot of other fancy things. Like you can tie it into like, as my power or heart rate goes up, it goes up like the intensity of the fan, mm. or, uh, you could do plenty of different things. Uh, I wonder if you can do temperature. That would be cool. That'd be kind of rad. Um, because that's where I use it. I notice when I work out in a freezing basement in the winter, I'm like, yeah, no fan right now. And then after I get into the workout, I'm like, yes, please fan. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of annoying to like get off and turn it on. Uh, you can get a little janky remote from Amazon, a free one that you can just plug. It's an outlet that's remote. And then you can plug that in your fan into that first. Yeah. And then you can use that if you want. But anyways, cool to see that somebody made a vertical fan for cyclists. And then Stages came out with a head unit an updated version of the dash basically, but okay. it's pretty different. So maybe it's actually not an updated version of the dash. It actually has maps as a color screen. Uh, so it's a straight across Garmin content contender now, but nice. with way more training stuff. Cool. So kudos to the folks at stages, another company that, uh, does a lot for people over delivers, I would say. So, um, okay. Racing news. Sure. Uh, BC bike race is happening. <clears throat> yes, it is. I want to do this race someday. Neat. Really bad. Don't, don't you? <laughs> kind of XC-ish. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It looks like a ton of fun. It I want to do it. Yeah. Uh, Jeff and Katarina are winning. Uh, so of course they are. Yeah. Jeff yeah. Kabush and Katarina Nash. Uh, but it's not as close. It's not as a runaway as one might think. It's actually pretty darn close. Mm -hmm. So there's a fast Frenchie, uh, that's, that's keeping Jeff on his toes right now. Yeah. Um, plenty of stuff and, and Katarina's getting chased down too. So uh, keep your eye on that. But that bike race looks like heaven. You race through the Vancouver region of BC, I should say. Uh, so you, and you hop on ferries from Island to Island over there and ride incredible trail. It's known for having a lot of like, there's a one day where you go through the North shore and it's a ton of technical North shore stuff. They have a stage in Squamish. They've had stages in Whistler before it changes every year. Um, Squamish but, and Whistler. Mm -hmm. We should, we should go up there. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, then they have plenty of, they have like a, they transfer you, but then they also have like camping available for you. So like they have tents that are pitched for everybody and they have like a tent village that moves around. Nice. It's pretty cool, man. Rad. It's a, it's a really cool event. It's probably the premier. I mean, let's Cape Epic to me is not the premier mountain bike stage race. It looks terribly boring, but it, I know it's the biggest one. Yeah. But it looks terribly boring. This looks incredibly fun. Mm -hmm. uh, way more cool. So uh, that one's going on, and I want to do that one in the future. Val di Sole happened, or Val di Sole, or Valley of the Sun. Yes. Some might say. Yeah. Sun Valley, Italy, shall we? Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. A little different than Sun Valley, Idaho. Yes. Yeah. More grapes, less potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so uh, XC and DH World Cups happened at both of those places. I didn't watch anything with it. You didn't? I was so busy. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, so I watched most of it kind of in between doing chores around the house on Saturday with uh, Simon, mm -hmm. my son. And 
so this one, I thought they have short track now, mm-hmm. and then they have the then they have the normal cross country. So we'll start with cross country at a downhill. And on the short track, Scherter got Nino Scherter got uh, pretty much wrecked by Matthew Vanderpool. He destroyed. Okay. And Matthew Vanderpool is the previous cross world champ and like you know legit yes. guy. So uh, he got destroyed. So I figured Vanderpool was going to have his number on the XC stuff, and no, Nino completely destroyed on that one. I kind of. So you think Nino was holding back in short track? I don't know. I think it's kind of like, because he hasn't done well in the short track races yet. I wonder if these short, hard efforts like that, just, you know, they say he's getting older. He's really not. But compared to Vanderpool, I guess he no, is. No, he he is getting older. Yeah, yeah. yeah Literally everybody's getting older. This is true. Yeah, yeah. I guess he is compared to Vanderpool too. Yeah. But I wouldn't think that it would come at like such a performance detriment in short, hard races. I don't know. It doesn't seem to do well in them. But then he pulls it out every time for the uh, XCO stuff. So, yeah, um, but there's also a difference between short course and its super fast repeated hard efforts mm-hmm. or, I guess, constant hard effort with yeah. insane efforts all the time. Whereas with – at yeah. least in cross country, there's spots where they, they get – I don't want to say rest, but Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. It's kind of interesting or it could even just be a psychological thing. That's true. Who knows? But it's pretty interesting. Uh, He didn't completely, you know, mop the floor as they say, because Gerard Kirschbaumer, Kirschbaumer, which sounds like a German name. I think it is a German name, but he's actually Italian. Mm -hmm. He uh, bridged up to Nino at one point and then Nino ended up breaking away from him at the very end. Hmm. So uh, kudos to him. I think it was his first podium that he's had and it was on home soil which is pretty sweet that race is actually pretty fun to watch though Uh, i recommend checking it out there was passing and some some cool stuff how'd milady do uh (laughs) yes yolanda yeah Yeah. has she acknowledged you yet no that's a bummer man I don't really know what to say. I know Keegan Swenson is over there racing the World Cup's friend of the and podcast. And not helping at all. No. He's being a jerk. He's not dropping any hints for you or anything? No. No, no not at all. Poor guy. Um, so uh, Maya Vajoska, she won. Mm-hmm. Emily Batty got second. She's on fire, man. Yeah. She's doing really, really well. And she's not starting like crazy fast, but basically the polar opposite of Yolanda. Yolanda is like sprinting off the gun and then she's blowing up, right? Okay. Uh, Emily Batty is staying smooth and then she's working her way up. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see like the different tactics. Pauline Ferran Prevot led a good chunk of this race though. And then she ended up dropping back to fourth, but she still finished 38 seconds off. Not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. She looked really, really strong. And then Gunrita Dalla, she finished fourth or fifth. And that's freaking crazy because she's... She's been sitting like not eight as, to 12th typically yeah, this year, hasn't well, yeah, she? Well, yeah. I mean, she's been in like, you know, the top five, top 10. But the crazy thing is she's probably, I mean, she's probably in her 40s. Yeah. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty impressive. I think yeah, so. Something like that. Yeah, she's, yeah. I think she's in her 40s. Yeah. If not, she's close. So that's really impressive, man. Yeah, Nino. Yeah. <laughs> Get your poop in a group. Yeah, there we go, right? Yeah. Um, so pretty crazy to see. And then uh, last little shout out that I wanted, or two shout outs, Chris Blevins, uh, American, mm-hmm. insane bike skills. Like this dude, what this dude does on a high posting, like specialized epic. So like, you know, not slack head tube angle type okay. of stuff. Not very usually X or not very bike parky bike. That dude can seriously send on that bike, hmm. can manual like nobody I've ever seen on a bike with a high post around a BMX track almost entirely. That's, yeah. It's pretty impressive, okay. man. Yeah. Anyways, he's awesome. He also, he, he he's a he's a rapper, I guess he'd say too. He writes, yeah, he makes beats and raps. Oh, I was thinking he like 
Christmas presents. And oh yeah, yeah, probably yeah. does that. He's too. a rapper. I bet he can rap <laughs> presents. Yeah. yeah, and he goes to San Luis Obispo, uh, Cal Poly, San Luis okay. Obispo. Yeah, uh, he's got a lot of boxes checked, man. He's a pretty cool, dude. Hmm. Uh, people should get to know this guy. His bike skill makes uh, makes uh, Peter Soggins' bike skill look embarrassing. Hmm. So uh, he's very, very good. Nice. And he got fifth. So kudos to him in the U23 men's race. Dang. And then uh, Howard Grotz, American national champ, he got 12th, which is a crazy good result. Yeah. That's in the elite men. He got 12th, which is his best World Cup result, I think. And that's unheard of to see an American finishing there. I was saying, and there's some U.S. representation it's building. Happened. It's good. There we go. So, and then uh, Keegan Swenson, friend of the podcast, he did not have a good day. Uh, he's working on some stuff to try to figure it out and switch around. Chloe Woodruff had a great day, yeah. as, and she's like finished. She's starting on the second row now because she's got so many UCI points. It's really cool. How'd Kate Courtney do? Uh, you know what? I can't. I don't have the full results. She's just in front coming of me. back from. Yeah, I don't have the full results. She. She looked like she was struggling partway through the race. She dropped off a little early, then just kind of stayed closer to some that were dropping behind her, though. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. I wouldn't be surprised if she came in somewhere between 5 to 10. Okay. You know, somewhere around there. So uh, sorry, Kate, for not having that one uh, locked down. But uh, so moving on to the downhill stuff. Yes. Aaron Gwynn's thumb is destroyed. Okay. Like really destroyed. He can hardly hold on to the bars. Um, so uh, he is not even in the top five. So there's drama coming into that points chase right there. Um, but Omri Pierron, he ended up taking the win again. And then Laurie Greenland, Danny, Shaw, Danny Hart, Luca Shaw. Good job, Luca Shaw. American stuff there. Proud of that. Um, the interesting thing that I want to cover here, and then Tony Seagrave won, by the way, and Rachel Atherton got second. That's big. That is big. Um, but the thing I want to cover with this is this course, if you watch this one, you really have to pay attention to nuance, but this one is probably one of the more technical courses they have in terms of the surface that they ride on. There's so many routes and the routes and, and how you have to weight and unweight your bike. You can learn a ton from watching these riders. Like look at their body position when you watch this okay. and it's, that's all I'm going to see on the DH one. Hmm. It's it's, you can learn a ton from watching them race that course. So, um, all right. I guess maybe one, one other quick thing. tease. Yeah. Yeah. We're testing something. We're we? testing something. And this came from our, you know, lackluster love of the SRAM guide and SRAM level breaks. We're actually, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a pound puppy. This is what the SRAM breaks. We're making them, we're, we're, we're nursing them back to health. Yes. We're finding ways to help them. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know the brand Galfer, explain who Galfer is in the moto world, how you know them. Yeah. So, uh, one, uh, first thing going to put a caveat out there. One thing that I dislike is when mountain bike people in the industry just say like, oh, well, it's good in moto. So it's got to be course, good. Of course. Right? Yeah. So that's why they, we're testing this. They like, yeah, they push it way too far a lot of the time. Yeah. But Galfer is a bit different. So Galfer is a company that on the brake side of things, they're known for when you put on a Galfer rotor and pads versus your Brembo or EBC, it's like, uh, it's basically like, or your Nissan calipers or whatever else you have. It's basically like, it feels like you just put two rotors on the front. Yeah. Like it's incredible. Their stopping power. Yeah. What the first thing I did whenever I got a dirt bike back in the day was I would get my dirt bike. I would send off my suspension. I would get it set up for me. I would put a handle full of other things on there. Like I would change out the bars to be the bend I want. And I would always, always, always switch over to Galfer rotors and Galfer pads yeah. always happen. And they make steel lines, which really helped too. Mm -hmm. But in this case, we're 
trying them for mountain bike stuff. Yes. We're going to try out their wave rotors. Both um, you're going to have a set of the fixed rotors. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a set of the floating rotors on the Jekyll. Can you explain a floating rotor really quick? So a floating rotor is basically two separate, the inner hat and the outer uh Breaking surface are two separate pieces, mm -hmm. and instead of being riveted together like the your SRAM, yeah, like the center line or like the the Ice Tech rotors from Shimano, there's actually a gap there. Uh -huh. So they're pinned together with this uh, basically like a half circle on each side, and yep. there's this pin in the middle. But it allows for heat expansion. So yes. if you have like your your uh, Shimano Ice Tech rotors, mm -hmm. you notice if you use them after like a long downhill, you let your brakes off, and they will rub. Because yes. heat expansion makes them grow, yes, and they don't have anywhere to grow to, so they end up with waves in them. Yep. Whereas with a floating rotor, which Hope does floating rotors, Galfer does floating rotors, it allows for that expansion without the rotor losing its center line, without yep. it creating any sort of wave left to right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a really good way to do it. You're going to get consistent braking with them. Yeah. Uh, everything, I just put them on my uh, SB100. With their green pro pads. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I haven't done a ride on it yet, but mm -hmm. holy cow, they're bitey. Yes. It's on, awesome. And what do you have on your SB100? You I have, have level, level ultimates. ultimates, which are known for not being particularly good. Or bitey. Yeah, or bitey. Yeah. Uh, but these ones, and these aren't even bedded. I haven't even bed them in yet. Yeah. And they're already bitey. Yeah. Whereas if you don't bed in like a set of like SRAM pads and even Shimano stuff, you don't bed them in, they don't feel particularly bitey at first. Yeah. So these ones do. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. So I can't wait there. I'm still waiting on the 180 millimeter floating for the rear of the Jekyll and the 180 mil fixed one piece wave rotor for the front of the scalpel. Mm. And then I will also be on that. Mm. I'm also going to try another thing. <clears throat> mm. They ended up sending me both their road specific pads and their green pads for me to try on the super X with the Shimano RT 99 rotors. So we're going to see if we can destroy some ice tech rotors <laughs> nice. with their aggressive pads. Awesome. Good stuff, man. Well, cool. Uh, yeah. with that, I think Steven, we should probably get into the business, which in this case is also kind of the questions. Uh, we've had a lot of questions about suspension, so why don't we just get into it? Let's business it. It's business time. All right, let's talk suspension tuning, which there will be more questions after this. There will always be more questions. Oh, there's always going to be questions. And, and we're not trying to remove questions. We're just hoping to give you guys some insight into how we tune our suspension mm -hmm. and the things that we've learned along the way. So then hopefully you can better understand what your bike's doing underneath you and how to make it better. Yes. That's really the main goal, right? Um, we put out a question to people that, you know, things that they don't understand about suspension tuning or questions about that sort of thing. We put it out on the Instagram stories. Yes, we did. Uh, and we got uh, plenty of interesting questions. I'm going to ask you some random ones, Stephen. We have a lot of them. We do. So I'm just going to ask you, I'm going to scroll cow, at that's random. That's a lot of them. That was like six scrolls. Yes. I'm going uh, to scroll at random and I'm going to okay. land on one and you're going to answer them. That'll be the fun part of this. And, and we're going to get deep into the business. Perfect. That sound good? <clears throat> yes. Okay. Uh, first one, this is not very important. But why don't you like Kashima brown sugar? Because black is sexier. Yes. Okay. I like that. Uh, next one. Best way to keep the short travel bikes from bottoming out. Uh, to keep them from bottoming out, you have to have air. Basically, your spring curve has to be progressive. I like um, this. Let's do five-second answers. Okay. I like that. Okay. Because uh, then we're going to get into a lot of this stuff soon. Too. Yes. Uh, when is it time for a service? Uh, one, when oil is leaking. Two... <laughs> 
<laughs> when your damper seems to be not functioning, when you go to your lockout, it's not, you know, functioning any different than when it's on wide open. Gotcha. Or it makes noise. Uh, this one just says was good. Yes, it was. Okay. That person, their question, their questionability broke. I think on that one, yeah. uh, let's see. Uh, is the shock was worth the money, your opinion? Uh, yes, but I also think that if you go in with a bunch of friends and buy one, then you all get to use it. Ooh. Or pro tip, I already answered this question. The shop that I used to manage, Great Basin Bicycles, actually has two of them, Ooh. and they rent them out for $40 a day, so you can rent it for 40 bucks instead of paying retail for it. That's the way to do it. your suspension. How I make flight? Uh, Southwest.com. <laughs> <laughs> Work at Airbus. <laughs> Or Boeing. <laughs> okay. Buy uh, a Cessna 150. Uh, what is a quality but cheap beginner fork? I love the show. Keep it up. Um, I The new Judy XC 30 mm. mil. That's a good beginner. Um, the RockShock Yari. Uh, the Fox, the base model Fox um, with the grip damper. Yeah. Surprisingly plush on the initial. Like that's, they're, they're pretty rad. All right. Uh, next one. Uh, that one's going to be too long. Let's see. Scroll and land. Uh, oh, okay. Not a setup question, but for all mountain and enduro, what do you prefer, coil or air? It totally depends on the bike. There's really not an answer for that that's one way or the other. I like that. Uh, next one. Uh, does locking the shock out reduce the travel? No, it does not. It inhibits the shock's ability to move oil through the valving orifices. Yes. Um, so it, indirectly, yes, <clears throat> because you're never right. going to create enough force for long enough to get it through the travel. But yeah. No, it actually doesn't decrease travel. If you have a system like Cannondale. Where you have the Gemini or the old Dyad, yes, it does change the travel. It yes. changes. It doesn't eliminate the travel. Um, let's see. What do you say? Five more of these? No. A we'll, couple more. Yeah, we'll do a couple more. Uh, best. No, that one's going to take a long time. Yeah, let's do this one. Your choice. MRP ribbon air coil, or I should say MRP ribbon coil. Fox 30 or Fox factory 36 or take a F Fox 36 and give it the push ACS three treatment, which we'll talk about push soon. Uh, no, I would do a, a, a new Fox 36 grip too. Ooh, I like that. Mm -hmm. Answer Z. You okay. threw one in there. Well, he said Fox 36 and yeah, I just true. made sure which damper to put in it. Mm, this is a good one. Are linkages so good these days that it's down to rider preference or are some better? Some are absolutely better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, they're, they're not all good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, let's get, I guess that covers the surface and some randoms. Yes. Good times. Uh, send in those questions. Especially we'll, the airplane one. Maybe we'll do like five second answers with Steven. That could be like that a segment. That would be segment. a funny segment. That would be a fun segment. Yeah. I would like that. Um, rapid fire question. So uh, let's talk about basically like when you're tuning your suspension, you're trying to make your bike handle better. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to do that, you're really, what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand what your bike is doing underneath you. Yeah. That's the key to suspension tuning is understanding what it's doing and what you actually want it to do. Exactly. So I guess we should cover what the goal would be. Like, what do you want out of suspension? The one thing that I think of that a lot of people don't think of, which we'll get into the obvious stuff, you know, but it should be matched front to back. Well, of course, but what does matched front to back mean? Yeah. Honestly, the goal with suspension tuning is to keep the tires planted to the ground and traction yeah. at its maximum at all times. Yeah, which uh, I know that you're probably thinking, well, isn't the goal of the suspension not to toss me around? If it's tossing you around, it's losing that traction. Yeah, 
Exactly. Yep. And that's something that people probably to make it more simple, you're just trying to keep the tires on the ground. You're trying to keep those tires tracking well, or give them the the best opportunity to have good traction. And you're trying to keep you on the bike in the middle of the travel stay in some capacity stable. Yep. So the, where this, and I want to go back to the front to back thing really quick. Yes. Cause a lot of people it's, it's tough a lot of the time because an, a, a setting adjustment up front does not just change the way the front of the bike behaves. No, it, it will change the rest of the, how the bike behaves. Absolutely. So a lot of the time you'll have a bike that you'll get. Um, and I, th- I think it's very prevalent on lower end spec bikes Okay, where you'll have, um, a rear end with a, that's, you know, like a, a, a linkage design that was designed with a really high end shock. Okay. Right. But then they're specking it with like a lower performance shock but then they're really specking with a much lower performance fork than what was tested. Okay. And as a result, you get very different handling characteristics across the board in terms of how that suspension moves through the travel in the front versus how it moves through in the rear. Mm-hmm. Like we know uh, from the bike test that we've done that, uh, for example, uh, Trek, if you don't have a lockout, uh, those things are very waterbeddy, right? In the sense that they're very plush. Yes. They're very smooth versus something like a Yeti is going to be much more supportive feeling through that street. Because it has anti-squat characteristics. That's part of the suspension mm-hmm. kinematics, not the shock. Yep. So if you have a fork that up front on a Trek is like a lower end fork, that's just really hard to get a lot of plushness out of the fork. Yeah. Then your bike's never going to feel really balanced. Mm. Right? Yeah, because the inherent design of the suspension in the rear is to be plusher. Yes. So then you'll have a fork up front that isn't. Contrary to that, you could have a bike that's, you know, it, and basically what that will do is that will make the rear end feel less efficient or the front end feel excessively harsh. Yes. Flip that on its head. You get something like a Yeti and then you have like a fork up front that just, you know, you can't get the support or stiffness that you need out of it. You're going to feel like your front end is kind of diving or stink bugging at times. It's not yeah. going to feel supportive enough. Yeah. So you really have to, there's, there's getting the front end to handle well, getting the rear end to handle well, but also getting them to handle in a similar manner. Yes. You have to kind of chase all of those things Mm -hmm. and it's complex. The big thing that you have to do is you have to develop a very good sense of what your bike is doing underneath you. And the way that I've found at least the best way to do that is that I try to like cause an action and then feel the response, like in a scientific manner, dose measure, right? Yes. So in the best way to do that is to have controlled circumstances, I think. So if, you know, somebody like, uh, if you're from SoCal and you're riding on that concrete hard pack all the time, and then you go up to big bear and you're riding on loose stuff, you don't want to just like suddenly start changing your suspension or, or judging your suspension only based off of how it's behaving poorly in the loose stuff all of a sudden, of course, because it's just going to be different. So you want to isolate things. And in fact, it can be really helpful if you have a short loop or you can be like, okay, here I have choppy stuff, like choppy, hard bumps, yeah. little small ones here. I have really big compressions. So it might be, you know, jumps or it might be big drops or it might be big G outs. And then you might have another spot where it's, you know, loose over hard mm-hmm. versus a spot where it's just loose or just hard. And then you have a jump line. And sure. You have whatever. Kind of like our Sedona loop. Uh, imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah. So the, but the point behind that is that the bike is going to behave differently in different scenarios. And you want to make sure that you're isolating it and understanding what the bike is doing in one spot versus the other. Yes. The, the last caveat that I want to add for, for suspension testing is that if your bike handling and, and your technique is, is bad, 
then I don't care how well tuned your suspension is. You're not going to get the performance that perhaps you're seeking. Exactly. No, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see like a lot of people, if you complain a front end traction before I even tune the fork, the first thing I would want to see somebody do is get their chest lower. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Chest lower, even with the ground. Yep. Stick your butt out. Yep. And at, and at that, you got, you also have to remember that we are talking about the suspension tuning in relation to traction. That's assuming that you already know and have your tire pressure dialed and that you have a yes. proper tire up front and that your tire is not worn out and that there's no other variables. Yes. The thing that people need to understand in that when it comes to suspension is you have to have everything else out on the bike dialed. Mm-hmm. So that there are no other variables. Yes. Nothing is changing. Nothing is reducing traction. Nothing is reducing suppleness. And you just have the suspension to worry about. Exactly right. Because if you're running 40 PSI on a front tire and trying to ride mammoth in that or, you know, something with, you know, kitty litter on it, you're going to have zero traction. It doesn't matter what your suspension is tuned because the rest of the bike is poorly set up. Or if you have a super narrow internal width rim and you're running a 2.5 on the front, you're not going to get a stable tire up front. So that's going to be really tough to separate the instability that you're having from the tire from your, what you should be tuning out in your suspension. Exactly. So yeah, absolutely. If you get the other parts sorted, then it's just going to be much easier for you to actually discern what's going on with the, with the suspension and how you can change that. Uh, another thing that I'm going to say is so uh, suspension adjustments in many cases come in clicks, right? So what I mean by that is that you can, you know, rebound, uh, which we'll go into that, but all the different settings you can make, you could, you click a little dial Mm -hmm. and then that's what gives you the adjustments. Yeah. And my rule has always been, I move in increments of two, so then I can move back in increments of one. Yeah. And that's basically what I want to do is, uh, if I just move one click at a time, it may be hard for me to really discern a strong difference Mm -hmm. or a direction in which the bike's handling is going now Yes. with that tuning direction. So a lot of the time what I'll do is instead of just going one click, I'll go two clicks and then I'll be like, oh, okay. I get a strong indication of how that's changed. Yes. I feel like I could do with probably less of that. So then I back off one click Okay. or then I go, okay, it's great. I think I could go with even more. I'll jump two again. And then what I'll do is I'll go back one. Okay. You know, so it's, it's a good setup. So you follow, you follow a road. Yes. To seek whatever you're trying to get out of it yep. until that road diverges and then you pull back. Exactly right. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think that the two clicks with one back sort of a scenario is great. You may end you may find that you don't need to go one back, yeah. but you know what Robert Frost said about roads, right? Yeah. Uh, something about woods and diverging, I believe. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. taking ones that are less traveled. Indeed. And yes. making sure one of them's dirt. Actually, I think that was that was Samuel Clemens that said that. Huh. Look at you. Sorry, sir. Literature guy. Let's get out of this literature class and get anyway, back into suspension class. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, talking about adjustments, uh, there's low speed compression. Mm-hmm. We'll define these soon, but high speed compression. Yes. There's high speed rebound in some cases. Well, no, there's always high speed rebound. Well, that's true. Yeah. Then there's low speed rebound. Yes. And uh, many, and we'll get into this in just a bit, but then there's also air pressure. And then there's also air volume. Yes. Uh, if you have a coil, that's kind of replace, replacing the air pressure side of things. I guess. Yes. 
and well and, and air and volume, volume yeah. too. <laughs> so kind of works with both. It does. Um, so that's how how that works there. In most cases, what you'll see on your fork is that you will have rebound adjustment, you'll have air pressure adjustment, mm -hmm. and you may have some sort of a compression dial. Usually, it's just it's like, like a, with Fox, it would be the open adjust. Yep. Or in like on lower end forks, it'll just be like the lockout that you yes. can like dial a progressive in lockout positions. Yes. That will be compression. And in most cases, what that's adjusting is low speed compression in most oh, cases. Yeah. Most cases. Yep. So uh, it, let's get into, I guess, low versus high speed. Okay. What we're talking about is not your speed on the bike. It is the speed of the shaft, the motion of your damper assembly inside your fork or your shock. How fast is that moving? Yes. Yeah, so a good example of like a low speed one, think of when your suspension wouldn't be moving extremely rapidly through its stroke, yeah. but a little slower. So think like a drop where you kind of, or like a, a, a G out where like you kind of roll into a dip and come out and the suspension really compresses. And, and it really you, loads uh, up. That's going to be low speed compression. And then as you come out of the G out, it'll be low speed rebound. Yes. So that's, that's the speed of the oil going through the valving. Yep. And another way to look at this, a lot of the time where this, where you will notice low speed compression adjustments or rebound adjustments is when you're pedaling. Yes. When you're pedaling mm -hmm. and pushing into the bike too, with your body weight, when you throw that energy down into the bike, yep. that's where you're going to see the low speed difference. So if you feel like your bike isn't one thing I see is a lot of people buy bikes with a bunch of travel and it feels bobbly and unstable. Yeah. And they feel like when they get into tech balancey stuff that the bike just feels too unstable, like a waterbed. Yeah. I'd recommend more low speed compression if you can tune that. Yeah. Low speed compression creates more pedal support. Exactly right. Now, high speed compression. Let's talk about that. High speed compression is when you're going through say a rock garden or washboards or something like that, where the velocity of the oil through your valving circuits is going very, very fast. Yes. Now the thing you need to understand is in forks and shocks that do not have separate high speed and low speed compression mm -hmm. adjustments, you still have in 99% of all cases, there are some that don't, but in 99% of all cases, you still have high speed circuits. So what ends up happening inside the shock is you have what they call their springs and shim stacks. Okay. And the oil is basically going through a valve mm -hmm. that has this spring in place. That's why when you take your compression knob on like your rear shock yeah. and you go from open to medium to firm, it seems to get stiffer because yes. you're putting pressure on that spring and shim stack. You're literally compressing a spring. Yes. So what ends up happening is when you're locked out mm -hmm. and you hit something really hard, it actually ends up bypassing that entire shim stack and going to the high speed circuit, which is not adjustable yep. unless you tear the damper apart and it goes into that and it, it moves through that actual exactly. orifice in so you the still damper. have the high and low speed circuits. Yeah, so you usually you have both have circuits. You don't have the adjustment in high speed in a lot of cases because it's expensive to have two it different is. knobs and two different shafts and two different everything coming out for you to be able to put an Allen wrench or have a knurled knob to, to turn it. Yeah, it's 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 a lot more complex. You'll see it on higher end shocks. So yes. Fox has had the HSE LSE damper in mm -hmm. their fork. Now yep. they have the grip too. Which is H which is both rebound and compression having high speed and low speed. Which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh Cane Creek. Cane Creek has had that for years. The yeah. Uh there are a handful of other companies that have that sort yes. of thing. Uh so you can 
there, so I guess that covers the compression side of things, well, kind almost, of. Almost. The other thing you need to remember is a lot of cases when you're riding, you're not just going to hit a jump or hit a, an obstacle where it's going to use one mm-hmm. of those circuits because your your shock is constantly going between the low speed and high speed circuits with oil flow. Yes. Like think about uh, a drop. It's when a you hit a example. drop, immediately when your tire touches, you've got so much downward velocity and energy in the bike that you're in the high speed circuits almost instantly. Yep. And then as you get into the travel, the bike starts to slow down yes. and then you go into the low speed circuit and then you start rebounding. You might feel that when you go off a drop, it's like, oh, it's so initially harsh, but then you might feel that after that though, I feel like I'm blowing through the suspension stroke. So in that case, what you would find is that your high speed has too much compression damping. So you would lighten that up if you have that adjustment Mm -hmm. for that initial plushness in in the landing. Mm -hmm. And then you would actually put more compression damping into the low Low speed circuit once you don't feel like you don't have the support in the mid or end of stroke where you're Yeah. So let's say you don't have high speed compression adjustment because the majority of folks don't No. Right. Uh, you see a lot of people using a combination of low speed compression and air pressure to kind of dial in that support that they would need or the feel that they would need. Or you play with volume spacers. Perfect. So is, is putting more air pressure into the shock? It is, is it necessarily giving you more or less low or high speed compression, or is it changing a different it's just, a, a it's, part of the shock? It's changing the spring the curve. It's changing. Um, it's basically changing. If you had a coil mm-hmm. or you say you had a 350 pound coil mm-hmm. by putting more air pressure, you're just saying, okay, now I have a 400 pound coil. So it should kind of raise the tide across the bar. Yeah. It raises across the bar. So now you're going to basically sit into the travel with less sag. Mm-hmm. It's going to be harder for you to get to the end of the the travel, but you're going to also that the, the weird thing that people don't understand is they may feel like they get what they want out of putting more air in it which is they don't bottom out anymore and they have more end stroke or bottom out resistance, but you're eliminating any sort of plushness out of the top of it. That's XC racers. I think of on this one. Yeah. A lot of guys run a ton of pressure in their forks. Uh, you know, they're on like a hard tail with like a hundred mil and they, the thing's basically a rigid fork Yeah, and they run a ton of pressure in it and they're, they're giving up a lot. Yeah. You know? So essentially what you can do is on most air shocks and forks, you can put what they call a volume tuning spacer in mm-hmm. uh, the rock shock calls them tokens. Um, y- what you essentially are going to do is you're going to reduce the amount of air available in the actual air chamber. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it makes it so that you you end up getting a little bit more initial plushness. Mm-hmm. You have to change your pressure from what you're used to. Totally. So it's not the same pressure. So as you end you, up running a little bit more. Yeah, as you increase spacers, you end up running less pressure overall. So like if you run, like in my RS1, I'm running, geez, uh, I'm not running four spacers. I tried it, but I'm running three spacers in that thing. Okay. And I went from 95 PSI and I'm down to like 71 PSI. Okay. Yeah. So that's something normal to expect. If you stay at 95, you'll be like, oh my gosh, this yeah. thing feels terrible. So the so. the cool thing about reducing the volume is it actually changes. If you look at the what the spring rate would be of the air mm-hmm. spring, 
at, you know, whatever your standard setup as it ramps up towards bottom out, because that's the thing is you compress air, it's spring rate increases. Yep. So what ends up happening is if you reduce the volume with volume tuning spacers, the initial plushness is increased. So you have mm -hmm. a lower spring rate on the bottom when you initially get into the travel. Yeah. But the caveat with that is as you go through the travel, you have less air volume now. So it basically builds up pressure faster. So in the bottom 20 to 30% of the travel, mm -hmm. meaning near bottom out, you actually increase your ramp rate. So you yeah. get better bottom out support. Yeah, exactly. And I see a lot of riders running different like running more tokens than what a fork is specced with or a shock is specced with. Yeah, since the RockShock Pike and Fox 36 came out and it's been all the rage of tuning mm -hmm. with volume spacers. And it's worth saying at this point that you can get different accessories, like you can get like the MRP ramp control, for example, mm -hmm. which is actually super handy. You can actually dial that in on the fly. You don't have to take your fork apart and install some spacers. You just twist something on the top of your fork. Yeah. And you're able to increase or decrease the available or the volume that you have there. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, really handy thing to have. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've, I realized two things that we glossed over. Number one, sag. Mm -hmm. um, setting sag is also a prerequisite in yes. terms of it should be in the proper spot. Now, it's not going to be the same across the board, though. You no, want to look not. at what the manufacturer recommends. Of course. Because it'll be different from bike to bike. Yep. Uh, then you'll also, usually it's somewhere around 25 to, you know, or 20 to 30% yeah. usually. Forks are a little bit different, but even, you know, even with like Fox 36s, I actually run more sag than they say you should. Hmm. Um, and then I use volume reduction spacers to help increase the bottom out resistance. That makes sense. So, and I usually actually run less sag than yeah. what most people recommend. But you're an XC nerd. So yeah. And, and, and honestly, from the moto side of things, I think that's, I, I, I got used to a very stiff feel yeah. and that was from having arena cross stuff and, and all that, you know? So yeah. it's kind of a, I guess, old habits die hard. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is people say my suspension must not be tuned right because I'm either not bottoming out or I am bottoming out. And I'm, and they use that as like the sign that their suspension is poorly tuned. Okay. And that's a, that's a sticking point for me. It's a bit there's, of a frustration. There's too many variables there to say, you know, yeah. there's so many trails that you and I ride often where even on my 100 mil scalpel and on your SB100, we only use 50, 60% of the travel. You're not supposed to use 100% of your travel all the time every time you're riding. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, if you're using that as your tuning metric, you're, it's a, it's like a, uh, you're like a, yeah, it's a very broad brush. Yeah. I guess you're painting with broad brush strokes, yeah. right? As they and, say. And, you know, just for example, with my Jekyll, you know, over the last couple of weeks, you know, 4th of July, we went with your brother up to North Star. Mm -hmm. And the 6th of July, we went back mm -hmm. and rode. So we did downhill days both days. Yep. On both of those days, the Gemini Flodex in the back of my Jekyll and the Fox 36, which still has the Fit 4 damper in it. Yeah. Um, I was using within a centimeter of bottom out of the front and within a millimeter and a half of bottom out on the rear, the rear on some of the big gnarly trails we were riding. Yep. The following Saturday, I went out and did a, I hosted a group ride for a bunch of the NorCal um, ladies that ride uh -huh. and I used barely 50% of my travel. Yeah. Not at North Star, but on other trails. And it doesn't mean that your suspension was poorly tuned. No, not at all. Yeah. It was actually perfect for what I was doing. Yep. So. Yeah. So it's, it's not as simple as that. Uh, I would say that in some cases I'm totally fine with bottom out. I want that. That's fine. Yeah. It's okay. 
because how rarely or how often am I going to get into a situation where I bottom out versus how often am I in a situation where I'm really just focused on that first initial part of the stroke and yeah. where that really matters. Absolutely. Um, I'm fine with bottoming out, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's not a problem. I mean, we don't want to bottom out to the point where we blow things up, but. Of course not. Yeah. Um, and if you're bottoming out and it's causing you to lose control and you're bottoming out regularly, regularly, that's a problem, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but it's not, it's certainly not a replacement for trying to pay attention to what your bike does underneath you. Yeah. It's not like that is the indicator of properly tuned suspension or yes. not. Uh, let's get into rebound. So we talked about how the suspension goes down. Mm -hmm. I should say how you go down on your suspension, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about how it returns. Cause that's rebound, right? Yes. So when we're talking about rebound, we're actually talking about rebound damping. Yes. That's the, that's a difference that people don't perhaps understand. That's speeding up or slowing down how fast the, the, the travel or the, the suspension comes back from your yes. bottom out. And we talked earlier about circuits and oil. It's really how that oil then gets back into its original place. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's in a sense, you could think of it as like, kind of like a, a putting the brakes on that return process or freeing them up. Yeah. That's how I think of rebound damping, because yeah. what you're talking about there is you're talking about slowing it down or like you said, speeding it up. Yeah. Uh, this one I see, this is actually a cause of a lot of suspension tuning problems and it Absolutely. can cause a ton of problems for front to rear for people. And they, it's hard to understand what the bike is doing. Yes, absolutely. So, um, I guess high and low speed, the same thing applies here, right? We're talking about how fast it returns yeah. when you're talking about those short movement or those short, really fast hits. Yes. So Versus, when you're in a rock garden or in a like chundery washboarded out road, yep, breaking bumps, breaking coming bumps. into turns, yes, that's high like that. speed circuit. Yep. And then when you're talking about low speed, we're talking about, once again, think a big G out loading right? into a corner. Yep. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. So you're thinking about when I load into that corner, does the bike give it back to me or does it just kind of bleh, just stay there yeah. and, and not give me enough? Well, you might want to change your, how, you know, how that bike's rebounding. And this speed. actually, and this does this, this setting will actually change based on what type of riding you're doing, yes. where you're riding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I change my rebound very regularly compared to compression. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, if I'm riding the same trail, I probably won't change it. Yeah. The only time I would do that is if the dirt conditions have changed to a point where it is changing the way the bike's behaving, but, yeah. uh, it's, it's something that I tweak with or change around all the time. Now there's, there's a, there's a curb test that a lot of people talk about that gets you in. It's kind of like setting sag. It'll get you into a sweet spot. Yeah. Right. Um, so and that basically is like you sit on the bike, you don't pedal, you just coast off of a curb mm -hmm. and then you pay attention to what your bike does and it goes off that curb. Uh, it's, it's kind of a cool tip to get into the ballpark and basically what you're hoping for. And it's a way for you to understand without any other variables there to kind of feel what's going on. Yeah. Really like good continue, point. Continue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No worries. Uh, I'm very offended. I don't know if we can continue. You do look offended. <laughs> uh, but when you drop off that curb, once again, you're just sitting, you're not pedaling. You're paying attention to what that rear suspension does mm -hmm. and you want to dial in the rear first and then go to the front on the, in this case with curb test, right? But you basically want your suspension to drop down and then return and settle at the top. You do not want that suspension to drop down, go to the top and then feel like it bounces again, Yeah, which is really common. And in that case, if you feel like it's you know, you're returning and then you're bouncing again. There's like a, you know, subtle bounce to that. You need to add rebound damping. Because what you're doing is slowing it down when you add that yes. rebound damping. Yes. Now, if you go into the situation, you feel like you drop down and it's just thud, 
and it returns a little slowly. You have too much damping. Too much. And you really want to go to the point with this where you feel like you do, you drop down and then you have that extra bounce that you want to remove mm -hmm. because then that's your indication that you've gone too far, then dial it back from there Yeah. until you feel like that extra bounce is gone. You should you, only, yeah. you should drop and then return to position instead of drop, return to position, bounce. Yeah. If you, if you look at like a graph of what you want the suspension to do, you want it as you come off the curb, you want it to fall into the suspension and come back out of the suspension very similar. Yes. You want it to be very neutral. Yeah. So as it's diving into the suspension and as it's coming back out, you want it to feel identically. Yes. You want it to feel the same. And then at that point, what you'll want to do is you'll want to then dial in the front rebound. Yes. So uh, the rebound damping on the front end, really what you're trying to do is get, uh, honestly, a good ballpark test for this mm -hmm. is to just hop up and down on the bike and see what that feels like and see if it returns at the same speed. Yeah. Uh, you'll want that front end to return at least as fast as the rear end. Yeah. And very rare cases you would want the front end to return slower than the rear end. Uh, yeah. that can be, that can put you into situations where the bike is going to stink bug, um, and basically, you know, change around. But, uh, on the trail, it's a bit different though. Like you get into that position, that's a good benchmark. But it's a good benchmark to start at. You're probably going to have to tweak it from there yeah. to get the ideal handling characteristics. Of course. So one thing that I think of, uh, you're coming in, you're going through braking bumps. And when you're going through braking bumps, you feel like your bike is very unsettled going through those braking bumps. Okay. Now, this could totally be a compression problem, right? It could totally be a problem with not enough sag. But let's just assume, let's assume that, that you have those variables down. Okay. What would you want to change on the rebound damping if your bike goes through small little chop, like choppy bumps and it isn't settled, it feels like lively and kind of unruly. So, well, so that depends. <laughs> and to, it does, right? It really does. So let's so, say it happens at the very beginning of the bumps. At the very beginning of the bumps, if you immediately start feeling unsettled, then that tells me that you have too much rebound damping mm -hmm. in the high speed circuits. Okay. Especially. Yeah. And so what's happening is you hit a bump, compression pulls us travel in. Mm-hmm. And rebound is set. There's so much rebound damping that it's not allowing it to come back out of the travel fast enough to yes. keep the tire planted. Exactly. So what you'll go, what you'll feel in situations like that is it'll just be like, um, especially with those bumps, you'll feel that as the bumps continue, it's going to get harsher and harsher and harsher as well. Yes. Because basically that shock or those wheel, your wheels are not able to return to their fully extended position. Again. So your suspension is what they call stacking. Yes. So, so every bump you're having less and less and less travel, which also means if you're, once again, the further you get into your travel, the, that's pro a progressive resistance curve that you have there. Yeah. So it's going to be harsher and harsher and harsher. Yes. So in many cases, what you'll want is in that situation, you want to speed up how that's returning. Yeah. You want to get that tire back down to the ground yep. as quickly as possible. So less rebound without it slamming into the ground and bucking you. <laughs> exactly. Cause yeah. that's the other thing. That's the other side of it. You can go into, and this is, you, you'll feel this uh, jumping technique has to be proper in order for you to really sort this out because mm -hmm. that's a big, that's a big tricky part there. Yeah. But you'll notice it on bumps. If your bike feels like it's just getting bucked really hard, mm -hmm. then try slowing down that rebound damping yeah. if you feel like it's getting bucked too hard on the first jump. Because what's happening there is when you hit the first little jump or bump, your your rebound is pushing it back so fast and so hard that it's hitting the second bump while it still has that velocity pushing it down and then it kicks the whole bike up. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah so 
this is, I think, a, a situation where people like you basically rebound damping should control your bike through consecutive bumps. Yes. Especially. Yeah. That's like, it, it should be the one that's moderating that and making sure that things are going back into the spot where they can best deal with the next bump. With shorter travel bikes, it's harder to do this. But one of the things that I always do is I do the drop test. Mm -hmm. And what you do is you just pick the bike up two feet off the ground. You keep the tires level mm -hmm. so that they're both two feet off the ground and you drop the bike to the ground. Mm -hmm. You can take a Santa Cruz V10 or like, you know, an intense or one of the big downhill bikes. Yeah. And they will literally sink five inches into the travel just on the, the weight of the bike itself. Yeah. They'll just settle down into the travel and pop right back up. Yeah. Tires never leave the ground. Yes. If you take a hundred mil XC bike, it's harder to do that. But even with my Jekyll, I can pick it up two feet, drop it. And it pretty much just hits the ground, goes into the travel and stays. And there return, might be a, yeah, it returns to its upright position. Yes. Without and, bouncing off the ground. Yeah. And you'll want to pay attention. I assume in that case to is the front end bouncing more than the rear. Exactly. And that's where, so yes, that that's one little test that I do. I mean, I've even done it on the scalpel, but it's kind of hard on the scalpel just because yes. with a hundred mils and a very progressive suspension and very progressive kinematics on the, the rear travel, it's hard to do that on an XZ bike, but yeah. for everything else out there, you can do the drop test and that's a good indicator of like, oh, there's a good balance. Mm -hmm. But if you drop it, the rear end stays planted and the front end bounces eight, nine inches off the ground mm -hmm. on its return, yes. then, oh, I need more rebound damping in the yep. front. Now, the tricky thing with the bumps is you'll really have to try to pay attention to stacking yes. versus just normal unruliness. Yeah. Because if you have not enough rebound damping, so your suspensions are turning really quickly, mm -hmm. right? Think of that in your mind. You might go through like a rock garden or a bumpy section. You might feel like, oh, the bike's all over the place, mm -hmm. right? Like it's just not planted, not staying settled. Yeah. Um, assuming that compression's dialed in. Yeah. Um, in that situation, you're going to, if your bike is just never settled at all mm -hmm. and you don't feel like the fourth bump in a row is, is worse than the first bump in a row or than the first bump in the beginning. Yeah. In that case, your chances are you need a bit more damping on that, on that, on that suspension because, because it'll keep the bike a little bit more calm and settled. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's where you'll feel the difference on rebound is if you have too much, if you have too much rebound damping mm -hmm. and you start stacking, you're going to feel dead and yes. unruly. Uh huh. If you don't have enough, you're going to feel like the bike's bucking around and it's lively. just lively. Yep. That means you don't have enough rebound damping. Yes. And this is the thing we have to say is I'm going to just asterisk this one more time. This is assuming all of your compression dampings are are already set. Yes. Or at least 90%. In reality, they, they affect each other, obviously, they, like we're yeah. talking about, you but know? it's always better to dial your compression before rebound. Ex yes, exactly. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't understand is yeah. first thing you want to do, set your air pressure or get your coil, mm -hmm. the proper one. Mm -hmm. And then thereafter, you can then dial in compression and air volume, work on that stuff. Yeah. And then what you can do after that is go into rebound. I feel that's the best way to do it. I've always taken that approach to compression first, rebound second. And I feel like at times, you know, you'll end up adjusting the rebound and it's worth a shot going back and trying to try two clicks with compression and then try one back after you get the rebound set. Yep. Um, I think it's a good idea to do, but that's kind of like the thing that the direction that I would take. Yeah. Um, something that I want to say that the shock whiz, people talk about that. And if that's a really good help, and it certainly can be a good aid for people, mm -hmm. Like you talked about earlier, but the one thing is it's not necessarily, 
it shouldn't be taken as gospel across the board for every rider and every suspension setup, but it's a good way for you to help. If you don't understand anything about it, put your hands on one set, you know, basically totally. work on your bike and it'll help you learn what the heck is going on inside your shock. Yeah. Cause basically what the, what the app will tell you, the, the shock was app is it's going to try to tell you what your bike is doing. Yes. If you can't feel it, it will try to at least tell you exactly. what it is. And so that's a good way for you to start learning more about it. Yep. Yeah. yeah you can go and uh, you can, if you feel like you can't get your suspension dialed in. Like my brother was in this situation. He's far outside the bell curve. And that's something to understand is, uh, those circuits, like we're talking about the shim stacks and the springs and everything else, all of those, those shim stacks and springs, those are what changes how that suspension, how that oil moves through the circuits, how everything happens. And when a manufacturer specs a shock on a bike, they have to just tell the, the shock manufacturer what Quarter, I should say configuration yeah. of, of that shock. I want it set up for a 180 pound rider or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And in most cases, I mean, they have to design it for, they are, they have to spec it for the majority. The middle of the row. Yes. Yep. But they can't cover all scenarios. Yeah. You can't. So your brother at 250 pounds with riding gear, he's yes. a large human, by the way. Big he's guy. very tall. He's He's a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not as big as him. No, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. He took the big jeans. Um, but he was far outside the bell curve. So, and, and he had a brand new Yeti SB55. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had the factory, Fox factory suspension. It had a 36 up front, but it had the fit four damper on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had the DP uh, DPX2 in the back. Yes. So DPX2. Yeah. Yes. It's getting very confusing, yeah. Fox, with all of your alphabet soup. But the thing is, with him being that heavy, he could not get the bike to feel right. It felt initially harsh because he had to run so much air pressure mm-hmm. on that thing, so much air pressure that he just couldn't he couldn't get the bike to actually be, yeah. behave like he wanted. So you actually recommended that he go with a coil. I did. In the rear, because that way he could run a spring and he could have a little bit more adjustment in terms of separating what the compression is doing from that air volume that he had with the other shock, exactly. in this case, the yeah. spring. Yep. And he's able to get a ton of initial plushness, but then he still gets the support he needs. Yeah. And then he switched over to the high speed, low speed on the new grip two damper yeah, that goes new, in the Fox fork. Yep. But, and he also went to 170 on the travel. Yes. 10 mil up too. Yeah. So he, he lunch rided the thing. Yeah. Um, but, and he ended up, it was the perfect bike. And the reason that we're sharing this is because I feel like a lot of people have good bikes and they're not performing really well. And you might feel like this bike really sucks and you might have buyer's remorse mm-hmm. and it might just be a situation where you're, you're bummed on what you've done. Maybe it can just be tuned out. Exactly. Maybe you fall outside the bell curve and you're really light or you're really heavy. Yeah. And as a result, you need to get a different setup. Exactly. Uh, but chances are it's probably just some tuning and you can get into the right spot. Um, if you feel like you, I feel like we've covered bottom outs. We've covered harsh feeling stuff, initial harshness. We've covered balance. Staying planted. Yeah. Balance. If you have questions about suspension tuning, they do, uh, of course, uh, <laughs> please just continue to send them in yeah. uh, to us. Just uh, go to MTB podcast and send us a message on there. You'll see there's a form that you can contact us on. I have the feeling that this episode is going to open up like two full questions episodes just sure. on suspension. I'm sure. Give us the scenarios where you feel like your bike is performing poorly, and then we'll try to analyze that. When you do this, please let us know your weight. Let us know your riding style, the surface you're riding on. Let us know your tires and your bike, the width of your rim, the pressure of the tires, 
and the bike you're riding. Yes. With those things, we should be able to figure most things out. Yeah. Um, but if you can give that to us, then we can help you suss out what's going huh, That was a good pun. Uh, figure out what's going on with your suspension. Yes. Uh, Steven, let's close it out with some tips. You don't care. They'd count on your tips to live. You want to go first? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, so after our two days at North Star, I ended up with four Dynaplug uh, uh, in, yes, I remember in this. my EXO yes. casing uh, uh, DHR2. Yeah. Um, and so I have decided that I am going to – I don't pinch flat very often anymore. Yeah. I run EXO casings, and I get away with it everywhere. Yeah. Except for two days at North Star this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was pushing it pretty hard once I started feeling comfortable on the bike, because it's been since 2016 that I've done downhill. Quite some stuff. time. Yeah. So uh, once I started feeling comfortable, I pushed it a lot and I ended up with four Dyna plugs. So um, I went ahead and replaced my tires and I went with <laughs> Smart, the two ply DH casing um, DHR2 uh, max grip. DH casing, next yeah. level stuff. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that tire is only 1140 grams or 1190 grams in the 27.5 by 2.4 wide trail. That's the one that I have. Yeah. My... You got that by accident. Yeah. I did it on purpose. Wonderful, beautiful accident. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. good. Yeah. So that's, uh, my thing is the DH casing tire. It's still lighter than the WTB tough fast, mm-hmm. um, of any tire in the same size. And it's, a bulletproof tire. Good feel too. That's a great feel. It, a yeah. lot of times you get a really heavy sidewall tire and it doesn't, you lose a lot of feel, Yeah, but not in this case. Not at all. Uh, kudos Maxis. Yeah. Pretty darn good. So we'll go beat the heck out of that tire. Yeah. yeah. You sh- man, you should be coming up with me tomorrow. I know. Sorry. Yeah. I got to run the bike shop tomorrow. Happens. The boss is going to go do roadie things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. something that happened or something that I will not be using tomorrow because I will be wearing my full face, yeah. uh, with, uh, with goggles that actually, I, I have the POC aura goggles and they don't have the clarity lens yet, mm-hmm. but they have these clarity lenses now POC, uh, across the board. So they use Zeiss optics, which basically means that they're going to avoid a lot of He's distortion. German guy. Yes. Carl. <laughs> Carl. Good old Carl. Good old Carl. Yeah. Uh, they avoid distortion. Uh, you'll see like, I've noticed like with my Smith glasses that I used to have back in the day, mm-hmm. when I would take them off, I'd be like, Oh, I think I'm halfway into the cement because you feel like four feet shorter when yeah. you take them off. You know, it's super weird because they distort so much. You yeah. don't feel that with like, uh, POC has their, the, the Zeiss ones. Mm-hmm. Oakley puts a ton of time into making sure that they don't distort. You'll notice that's the biggest difference between like Folkley's and Oakley's is that oh, not the biggest difference at one of them is that the distortion is really bad. Yeah. Uh, so it's really nice to have a, you know, anti-distortion lens, but then on top of that, they have these clarity lenses which basically have different contrast profiles on them and they filter out different colors at different rates essentially. Mm-hmm. And then what you get is they have ones that are designed for road ones that are designed for trail, that sort of stuff. So like the road one brings out like a lot of attention, or I should say it filters, it increases the contrast and what it tries to do is it tries to mute out, I think colors on this one. And it tries to really bring out the differences in the grayscale, gotcha. which makes sense since you're looking at pavement. Whereas at the trail, what it really does is it tries to bring out a lot of contrast in Browns. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't try to, to kill off too many colors, but it keeps the saturation low. And it really just tries to bring out contrast in Browns. So the interesting thing about, so Oakley's done something similar to this with their prism lenses, uh, these ones, and I've used the prism lenses, but these ones have the least amount of color distortion, which is actually really nice on your eyes. So, uh, I just got the, the, I just got the craves sent to me uh, from POC. So thank you for sending those over with those new lenses to test them out. And I'm impressed. Like it really does make a difference, uh, even in shadowy terrain, which like North star is like extremely bright sun or just black 
dark yeah. because of the shadows. Because trees. Yeah. And I've no, I noticed when I was riding with them, a huge difference in my ability to be able to clearly see terrain. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's kind of a, that's a next wave in optics. If you're looking for something like that, uh, go for something that has treated lenses, or I should say lenses that are designed to bring out characteristics in the terrain that you'll, you'll feature or you'll be riding in. I like it. All right. With that, Steven, uh, thanks to Worldwide Cyclery for supporting this. Thanks to Trainer Road for mm-hmm. lending us the studio, like always. We both have Trainer Road shirts on today. We're we brothers. both do. Nice. There yeah. we go. Yeah. <laughs> People would think the same if they looked at us. Yeah. Look exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if you have questions on suspension setup or anything, head to mtbpodcast.com. If you need bike parts, go to mtbpodcast.com. Go to the store. Click on that banner. Go to World, And that'll take you to Worldwide Cyclery. I think that covers it. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.